Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Arizona Red Ghost, written by Nick Korolev. One of the more bizarre tales out of the Old West. Arizona Red Ghost is based on a true story reported in 1883 by the Mojave County Miner, a weekly newspaper of Kingman, Arizona. Joe Crane runs a freight business using camels to carry goods through the brutal Arizona desert. He is attacked by three vicious outlaws looking for a gold shipment. When they find nothing, they play the cruel trick of tying the seriously wounded Crane to one of the camels to die in the desert. They don't take into consideration the fact that his son Joshua and ex-slave partner Moses are soon on their trail or the vindictiveness of camels. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Arizona Red Ghost. Chapter 1 Joe Crane, a raw-boned man, quickly closing in on his 45th spring, rode his white dromedary camel star in the heat of the Arizona Territory Desert, headed for home. Trailing behind him were three pack camels with heavy loads, each animal's halter rope was tied to the pack rig of the one it followed. The camel right behind him was a big chestnut-colored male called Red, and his halter rope was looped over the front of Star's saddle post. They were all strung out single file, plodding along easy as you please. As often happened in the desert silence on his freight trips, his mind drifted to thoughts of the past. Joe was constantly told that he was either crazy or a genius, using camels to run freight through the Arizona Territory Desert. An even-tempered, patient man, he grew to usually ignore the comments, some of which could be downright ugly. It had been his business since 1859, with first his adventurous wife Anne. Then Moses Finn, a runaway slave, and his wife, Sadie, joined them just before the beginning of the war, which would end slavery. Running freight was not a business for the timid. The desert was an unforgiving force of nature. Between the heat, flash floods of the monsoon season, thorny plants, rattlers and other varmints, and various hostile native tribes. But his small company had survived, while others had gone bust. He had the camels to thank for that. They were easy keepers, could carry more than mules or horses, and the tribes were scared to death of them. Their war ponies panicked at the mere smell of the camels. Of course, horses and mules owned by the settlers and townsfolk reacted the same way, so that was a drawback, but to him, it was minor. He only took a caravan into a town to deliver mail and goods at the freight depot. When it came to his own private business in town, like a need for supplies, he used a horse or wagon with a team. He hit upon the idea of using camels from his stint in the U.S. Army, just before the war. He joined the cavalry in 1857 and volunteered for the Experimental Camel Corps, mostly because it was different and he was an adventurer at heart. He trained with a cheerful Arab named Haji Ali, who everyone called High Jolly, at Camp Verde, 60 miles northwest of San Antonio, and found he was a natural with the often cantankerous beasts. The other troopers, especially the grizzled mule skinners, 
hated the camels. He found the mule skinners were well-named. They used multi-tailed whips weighted with lead shot that could literally take the hide off any stubborn mule they decided to punish. Joe quickly observed that attitude and cruel method did not work with camels. The beasts gave as good as they got by spitting their cud with unerring accuracy right in their tormentor's face, or biting them with their tusk-like incisors, doing considerable damage. Most of the other troopers who worked with the camels based their hatred on other reasons. The camels' haughty look and demeanor, their growling complaints while being packed or saddled, lack of the proper docility of a horse or mule under harsh treatment, and the fact they were foreign. Along with the foreign aspect came a resentment of having to learn to ride them. Everything was different from the horses they were used to riding. Some of the troopers used army-issue saddles fitted to their particular mount. Others used the Arabian Marklufa saddle that High Jolly said originated from the overland incense trade. Not that the troopers cared one bit. Designed to flatten out the camel's hump, it was formed by two inverted Y-shaped saddle bows, with an end like that of the stem of a wishbone, called a saddle post. Attached by leather thongs between the saddle bows was a padded wooden seat. The saddle bows rested on a single padded blanket front and back of the camel's hump. It allowed the weight of the rider or pack to be over the camel's ribcage, rather than on its hump. One size saddle did not fit all which was something else the men complained about. For the troopers, riding was a major challenge, and High Jolly took great effort to teach every nuance. First, there was no bridle. A nose ring or thong of leather was attached to a single rein on the left side. This ran through the ring of a standard halter. To go left, the rider pulled left. To go right, the rider pulled right. Mounting the camel was done with the animal kneeling. To get it into position, the rein was tugged downward, and the command was, Hoosh, hoosh. To get it up on its feet, the command was, Yala. When it stood, the back end went up first, followed by the front end. Thus, the camels dumped a lot of troopers on their first try. To get a camel moving, the command was, Hut, 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 or Yala again and a crop or camel stick, which was a switch about four feet long with a wrist strap, was applied to its side or rump. The troopers who insisted on using saddles with stirrups had a hard ride. Those with the traditional marklufa had to switch from straddling to the more comfortable crossing one or both legs around the front saddle post. High Jolly was constantly on them, to let themselves sway with their camel's odd, side-to-side, -side, irregular, and herky-jerky motion at a walk. They quickly learned camels moved at four gates. Walk, jog, fast run, and canter. The canter was faster than a horse, but lasted only a short distance before the camel tired. By the end of the day working with the camels, besides frayed patience, most of the troopers had sore legs and butts, worse than any saddle soreness from horses if they did not position themselves as High Jolly instructed. Crane learned quickly from High Jolly that camels were among the most thoroughly domesticated animals, but they took knowing. To their North African and Asiatic owners, they were of such value that they were treated with care and respect. 
Only if you respected the camel and treated it well would it work for you with few complaints. It would even wait if you fell off, unlike a horse which would usually run away. The other troopers grew quite jealous of his skill and never understood his love of the beasts, but he never let their snide remarks bother him. When the coming war killed the Camel Corps project, the army did not care where or how they disposed of the animals. Some were turned loose and later found by itinerant cowboys, who often used them for target practice. Others were sold at auction or to circuses. Joe got the idea to start a freight company which utilized camels. He had no intention of getting involved in the imminent war, so he obtained his honorable discharge from the army and immediately bought six camels at $10 apiece, money saved from his army pay, one camel stallion and five females, including the one he was assigned, named Daisy. Shortly after his discharge, he met and married Ann Wills, the daughter of a stage stop owner. The Crane Freight Company was started on a failed farm 15 miles from Solomonville, called Palo Verde Ranch. On his second freight run, he and his wife partnered with Moses Finn. Five years after the freight company was started, Daisy gave birth to Star. It was through trial and error that he turned her into a fine riding camel. As he looked out over the chaparral-covered tableland of the desert west of his present position, his thoughts turned to home and family. It had been a long three-week run with several stops. He hoped his oldest son of 19, Joshua, was helping Moses run the ranch, and 12-year-old Luke was not getting on everyone's nerves, while Sadie and Anne ran the house and tended the kitchen garden. Moses planned to come with him on this run, but just before he left, Geronimo and his renegade band of Apaches stirred up trouble, and they both thought it best Moses stay as an extra gun hand if needed. They had a string of eight horses in the corral and barn that could provide too much of a temptation, though the six camels still at the ranch in the camel corral were a good deterrent. When a drop of sweat from under his hat got into his eyes, he pulled Star to a halt. He wiped it away and reached behind him to grab the waterskin from his saddle, letting the long camel stick drop to hang by its strap on his wrist. He took a drink and dumped some on his bandana, rubbing it on his face to take away the sting of salty sweat. It was the hottest spring day yet, but the sage, wildflowers, and cactus around him did not seem to mind, painting the desert with brilliant patches of color. As he returned the waterskin and faced forward again, he saw Star turn her head. She pricked her small ears and grumbled softly. He looked in the same direction and spotted a distant dust cloud. Well, Star, let's hope they are not Apaches, he said, took up the camel stick and gently tapped her shoulder, calling, Hut, hut, hut. She plodded on, the pack camels following obediently behind her. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Arizona Red Ghost. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.